Open your Bibles this morning. Let's go to the Old Testament or the First Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. This is one of the things that I love to preach on almost more than anything else. And we're going to talk about this the whole rest of the month. And what I'm going to talk about is what does God's Word have to say about prosperity? Now, I've been in the ministry for a long time. I've been in the ministry for 33 or 34 years. And uh, I've seen the teaching of prosperity go both ways. I've seen the teaching of prosperity go so far one way that, uh, that everything's just about money. But I've seen prosperity go the other way where prosperity ends up being a bad word or, 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 or something that, that is, is evil or shouldn't be talked about in the church. But I want you to know something, that if God talks about prosperity, then prosperity is something that we need to talk about in the church and we need to talk about in the kingdom of God. Can I have an Amen. This is one of the greatest scriptures. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting with verse 6. The Lord says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is, a positive statement, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. He is bringing you into a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, a land in which you, everybody say me. me. Now I want you to look at this, a land, and this is, what, this is what we're claiming for you, a land in which you will lack nothing. Uh, not, not a land in which you just get by, but a land in which you lack nothing. Now, now l- look at me here a second. The desert is the land of just getting by. And this is where most of the church has camped. We were in Egypt where we were slaves. God delivers us. We're on the way of the promised land. And so we're, we're in the desert, and once a week, God opens the windows and gives us manna and brings us water out of a rock, and we're happy because our bills are being paid, and, and we've got gas in the car, and every, time, every once in a while, we can take a vacation at Motel 8. <laughs> but that is the desert. God is not talking about a land of just getting by. But God is talking about a land that flows with milk, flows, flows, flows with milk and honey, and a land in which you will lack nothing. Now, now I'm going to get into something, but I want you to change the way you think. If you're renting a house, that's great, but that's not the will of God. A land which you lack nothing. 
Say, well, all I really need is a car to get to work. The reason why I say this is, is when I first got saved, and I thank God for the people that led me to the Lord and the people that introduced me to Jesus and then gave me a chance to preach, but this is what we were told. We were told that if you want to drive a nice car, if you want to live in a nice house, then you're a city dweller and not a kingdom builder. That you ought not worry about living in a nice house or you ought not worry about driving a nice car. That's worldly things. That's ungodly things. And, and you're a city dweller. We heard this for 15 years that, that, that if somebody in our group would go and buy a nice car, you're wasting God's money. You can get by on a, uh, on a used car and it doesn't have to have paint. But I want you to know something, that's false teaching. Every preacher will preach Malachi 3. Every preacher in the world preaches Malachi 3. And Malachi 3 says, return unto me. Every preacher preaches this. Whether they're Baptist or Pentecostal or Church of God or Pentecostal holiness, every, every preacher preaches Malachi 3 a couple times a year. Returning to me and I'll return unto you. How return? In tithes and in offerings. And I'll open you up the windows of heaven. And the reason why we preach, we used to preach it. We used to preach Malachi 3 all the time. And I'm going to tell you something. Tiz and I never missed a tithe. We never gave a tithe. We always gave a minimum of 20%. But they never told us the last part. That I'll open the windows of heaven. You who tithe and you who understand all from his side, I'll open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. And listen to this, all the world will call you blessed. Now, I've got to be honest with you. You listen to me. Christianity and poverty are not synonymous. We've got to lose that thinking. And the reason that's there is because of religious teaching. There's nowhere in the Bible that says God wants you poor. Nowhere. Matter of fact, my Bible says, Beloved, I would above all things that you prosper and be in health as your soul, as your knowledge grows, I'll release on you not only healing, but prosperity. See, here's where that teaching comes from. And this is, this is what we were taught, and this is what we would say. And I'm going to tell you something. Somebody who's continually, continually, continually in debt, can't pay their bills, can't pay their rent, can't pay their house payment, continually, continually, continually that's not a good witness. I'm, go, I'm going over here. My Bible says, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing where all the world will call you blessed. How come your car is paid off? How come your house is paid off? How come your bills are paid off? Because I'm a Christian. Think about the demonic strategy of us who are Christians are supposed to be poor and we're going to tell the world, you need what we got. They said, we don't want what you got. Now, now, now listen to what I'm saying. There's no sin in being poor. But there's something wrong if we stay poor. Let me say it again. There's no sin in being poor. 
But something is wrong if we stay poor. Now, as I teach this the rest of the week, God said, you need to start here first. Because poverty is part of the curse, and a curse without a cause doesn't come. Here is the number one reason Christians are poor. Here's the number one reason Christians do not live in that abundance. The number one reason, and remember, a curse without a cause doesn't come. Now, let me me just throw this in because I'm going to end with this third one. There are three reasons a curse comes on your life. One of those is something we've done. One of those is something we've inherited. And another one is something that someone has done to us. On the the 27th, I'm going to teach you that everything that's been stolen from you, you're getting back. You, You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. But here's the number one reason, the number one reason the church world, the Christian world embraces the curse of poverty is because we've been taught poverty and Christianity go hand in hand, and that is a false teaching. Here's the, the Bible says our religious traditions, Jesus said your religious traditions will cancel the word of God. Here's what we've always heard. Listen to this. This is the number one scripture that's been released on the church that has put a ceiling of poverty over our lives. Jesus became poor so you could become rich. This is what we heard. Well, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. And so if Jesus was poor then I want to be poor because I'm, I'm supposed to be just like him. Let me, let, me, let me help you here. Number one, Jesus never was poor. Can, can I have you turn somewhere? Go to the book of Revelations. Well, Pastor, the Bible says, Revelations chapter 21. Pastor, the Bible says Jesus became poor so we could become rich. Look, look at me. Jesus became poor on earth in comparison to what he had in heaven. Now let me help you. Because this is a tremendous spiritual demonic strategy. Well, Jesus became poor, and so I want to follow Jesus. And we picture Jesus, you know, little baby Jesus wrapped in rags, laying in a manger, and Jesus walking around all poor. When the Bible says Jesus became poor, first off, why is it the poverty preachers never finish it? Jesus became poor so you and I could become rich. How many of you like to be rich? Amen. Now, you know, in, in, one, in one session, there's no way I can cover this all. But, but I've heard it all. Oh, no, Jesus, it, the Bible doesn't mean Jesus, God wants us physically rich. He doesn't want us financially rich. He wants us spiritually rich. See, I've heard all. I've been in religion for a long time. Well, you know, he doesn't mean uh, with money. He wants us to become spiritually rich. Really? So Jesus became spiritually poor? 
Really? The Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, became spiritually poor so we can become spiritually rich? Is that what it means? He's talking about money. He's talking about wealth. Now, when the Bible says Jesus became poor so you and I could become rich, it does not mean that Jesus became a poverty beggar. It's talking about comparison on earth to what he had in heaven. Let me show you a little bit about heaven. Uh, Revelations chapter 21, verse 15, he's talking about heaven. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The one who's, who's measuring heaven had a gold tape measure. No, think about it. You know, we, we think it's hot if we got a gold ink pen. This guy had a gold tape measure. Look at verse 18. And the construction of it walls was jasper, and the city was pure gold. The city was pure gold like glass, and the foundations of the wall were adorned, adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, just the first foundation. The second was sapphire. The third, something else that I don't have. <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Look at ladies. Ladies. Each gate. Now we're talking, how many foundations are we going? We're going up 12 floors. 12, a 12 story pearl in each gate. Our God's not a poor God. No, no, you got to get this out of your mind. You got to get this religious curse out of your mind. Our God is not a poor poverty God. I remember, I remember a a guy that changed my life in teaching me this because I was raised up in this. You know, I can remember one of the first times I came to, uh, one of the first times I came to, to Dallas to preach. And I went over to the pastor's house, and he was living in a real nice house. You know, you know, Tiz and I, you know, we lived in a trailer and a mobile home and all, all this, because this is what way we were taught. And I remember going to this pastor's house, and he had a really nice house. And, and I remember looking around, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. I said, brother, what do your people think about this? He said, they bought it for me. Amen. See, we got this poverty mentality that Jesus was poor and Jesus was on a budget and Jesus had to go to goodwill and buy his clothes. There's nothing wrong with starting there. But that is a starting place for where he wants you to get. I remember John Evanzini talking about when the Lord entered into the temple, his robe filled the temple. I remember John saying, our God's a snappy dresser. Our God is a rich God. So when the Bible says he became poor so you could become rich, that's in comparison to what he had in heaven. And, and, and if you read that, it's a huge city. 
And it's, the city was made of pure, transparent gold. And the streets were gold. Guys, God is so rich, the stuff he paves his streets with is gold. Our God has an abundance. And you know what? It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And God said, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a sin to want to be rich. But it is a sin to be willing to stay poor. Let me say that again. It's not a sin to want to be rich. But it is a sin to be willing to stay poor. Jesus said, I became poor so you could become rich. We look at religion, the traditions of religion, and we see Jesus in the manger. How many, how many have ever seen a manger scene? Remember, our religious traditions nullify the word of God. When Jesus is laying in that manger, how many wise men came? Doesn't say so. We say that all the time. The three wise men came. The three wise men came. Read your Bible. That's tradition. There's nowhere in the Bible it says three wise men came. What the Bible says is wise men came bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we immediately think, well, one brought frankincense, one brought myrrh, and one brought gold. But if you do a study, they say that there was a minimum of 12 men representing the kingdom and anywhere up to 100 that came. And each one, when you're coming before a king, it was customary for each one to bring frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Our religious traditions have Jesus laying in a manger. And here comes three guys, and they got a little box. And here, baby, here, baby Jesus, here's a, here's a quarter, baby Jesus. You get some candy. No, no, no. You got to understand, you got to quit thinking like, like, like a, a Gentile and think like someone from the Middle East. Now listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible says a man's gift, a man's gift makes room for him. And causes him to stand before great men. You got to understand what that means. When you're coming before someone great, your gift is showing your appreciation. You wouldn't come before a king and say, uh, you know, you know uh, man, pull over to Walmart. I got to get a tie for the king. That would be an insult. A man's gift makes room for him. Now, I know the church likes to make that real spiritual. Well, if you have a singing gift, it'll make it. And if you have a teaching gift, and if you have a, yeah, that's true, but that's not what it's talking about. There was a time that, that I got to go with, uh, with several other pastors, and we got invited. John was there. We got invited to Washington, D.C. to meet the King of Jordan. You don't go without a gift. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing he needs. But your gift, I remember everybody coming in, everybody shaking his hand. I came in with a gift. He stopped and introduced me to the, that gift made me different. It's a custom. So when they came all that way to see Jesus, they came all that way to see not a king, but the king of kings. 
They didn't come with a token gift. A friend of mine, uh, a businessman in Australia, did a study, and he said when they came, and it was any, wasn't three wise men, it was anywhere from 12 to 100, they didn't come with a token gift. They came, every one of them would have come with frankincense, every one with myrrh, every one with gold. And because this was the king of kings, they would have come with a minimum of seven camels each of frankincense, seven camels of gold, seven camels of myrrh. So from the de- very day that Jesus was born, when the Bible says he, be- he became poor so we could become rich, from the very day that Jesus was born, his ministry and his calling was financed by the wealth of the world being put in the hands of the righteous. Our God is not a poor God. So do you understand what that means? When the Bible says Jesus became poor, he wasn't poor. He, he wasn't poor. It means in comparison where streets are gold. You know, I, I shared this in, in Panama. You could take all the money in the world. And by the way, depending on how you count the wealth of the world, there is enough wealth in the world to give every man, woman, and child in America, in Latin America, in Europe, in China, and Africa. There's enough wealth in the world that every person in the world, depending on how you counted it, would have anywhere from 8 to $12 million each. So the problem is not there's no wealth. The problem is it's time for the church to realize why the wealth has been laid up. Why has the wealth been laid up? Because we've been willing to make a, 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 a minimum wage. We've been willing to let work for somebody else. We've been willing to, to, to just get by. And we need to break that religious curse and realize Jesus became poor so you could become rich. Now let me help you be spiritual. Let's say you're so spiritual that you say, I don't want it. Then do us a favor, get it, and then bring it to us, because we want it. If you took all the wealth, there's enough wealth in the world for everyone, every person in this building. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here or watching that has $10 million. I do know if you have $10 million, I would know if you've been tithing. There's enough wealth in the world right now for every person to have $10 million. For every person to have $10 million. And so when the Bible says Jesus became... Think about all that wealth. Take all the wealth in the world. Enough for every one of us to have $10 million. Take all the wealth in the world and give it to one person. Let's say me. Wait, I'm slaying myself in the spirit. I would be a poor man with all the wealth in the world given to one person. That one person would be a poor man or a poor woman compared to what Jesus had in heaven. But Jesus became poor comparatively 
so you and I could become rich. Say, say rich. rich. Say it again. Rich. Somebody's going to get rich. See, we've got to lose that mentality. We've got to, we've got to get rid of that religious curse that says it's bad to desire to be blessed. It's not spiritual. It is spiritual. You know, right when I was, when God laid on my heart to prepare this, uh, this, this teaching for the month, I got a, um, I got an email through the teachings that I study in Hebrew. Listen to this. Right when I, and in Hebrew, there's no word for. So right when I was getting ready to teach this, I get this teaching through my email. And it's the teaching, and I, and I shared it with you one, one Sunday morning on the offering. And it's a teaching where God comes to Moses. God speaks to Moses in the burning bush and says, my, your, my people are in, in captivity, but when they leave, they're not going out broke. They're going out with all the silver and the gold. So here Moses comes and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. But here's the Hebrew teaching. God says to Moses, listen to this. God says to Moses, beg my people not to leave without the silver and gold. Beg my people, don't leave until you get the silver and gold. And the Hebrew teaching is that is why would God beg them? Because the people would say, we're free. We're out of bondage. We're on our way to the promised land. That's more than enough. We don't need anything more. But God says, yes, you do. The wealth of the wicked being put into your hands is the second part of your redemption. Did you hear what I said? God begs you, don't be willing to get to heaven without first getting the silver and the gold. It is the second part of the redemption. Jesus wasn't poor, and the church wasn't poor. I I think one of the saddest things there is as a testimony to the world is when the church looks bad. When I got saved, thank God for those people. I love them. God blessed them. But they said, God doesn't look at the carpet. God doesn't look at the nursery. No, God doesn't, but people do. We're trying to get people to join our team. But we have this mentality that it's okay to build a billion dollar stadium. But to spend money on the house of God is wrong. That's false teaching. The church wasn't poor. I remember the time that Jesus was preaching. we I've been there. The Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says he's teaching the 5,000 men. The history says that there were probably somewhere between 5,000 men, a total of men, women, and children, somewhere around 18,000 people were there. 18,000. They come to Jesus and said, Lord, they've been here all day. They've been here since morning. Send them away to eat. Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. They said, Lord, should we go and buy? Should we go and buy lunch for 20,000 people? Now, 
You know, I don't know what the average lunch would have been, somewhere between, somewhere between Chili's and McDonald's. So let's say 10 bucks a piece without tip. And Christians ought to tip. So $10, $10 times 20 is $200,000 in our, in our day and age for lunch. Now, I love you. But I ain't taking you all to lunch. They must have had enough money to buy 20,000 people dinner. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen here. You know, you know where the, and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but you know where the whole teaching of poverty came from in the church? Rome. You ever been to Rome? They're teaching it, but they ain't living it. And I'm not saying that to pick on them, but they got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of paintings that nobody sees but a few guys. The woman came to Jesus and broke an alabaster box of anointing oil and began to wash his feet. Jesus didn't say, no, no, don't, 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 don't do that. We need the money. That alabaster box was about a year's wages. So I don't know what the average wage is in America, a yearly wage in America. Huh? 30, 35, $40,000. Somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, uh, I just, I got some new cologne for you. Uh, uh, here it is. And somebody goes, that's $40,000. I don't know about you, but I'm going to say, you know what? Uh, we could use that somewhere else. But Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't worried about money. The reality of it is, is he could have Peter go catch a fish and get enough money to pay everybody's taxes. But there was one person in the group that said she ought not do it. See, it sounds real spiritual to preach poverty. Oh, it sounds spiritual. Bless God. You know, and, and, and I say this, and I always say I'm never going to do this, but I hear preachers all the time preaching against poverty, prosperity. But these are usually rich churches. You know, I heard a guy preaching again. You know, these prosperity preachers, you need to quit listening to them. But he's raising $100 million for a building. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, I've got good news for the poor. Good news for the poor. If you're poor and I come to you and I say, if you're poor and I come to you and say, I got good news. God wants you to be poorer. The good, you know what the good news to the poor is? You don't have to be poor no more. Listen to me. God does not want you poor. This, how many know the story of the prodigal son? Okay, they're, 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 this is the reason I teach the Hebrew understanding of everything. Do you know that in Hebrew... One of the greatest insults is for a father to offer a child something and that child rejects it. It's a horrible insult. 
I was teaching this in Panama. I said, let's say, let's say, for example, I offered to buy my kids a car. And they said, no, dad, no, we, we couldn't, no. Number one, they would never do that. That's probably a terrible illustration. But here, the heavenly father says, I want to open up over you the windows of the kingdom of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that all your bills are paid, your house is paid, your car is paid, everything's paid, and you've got more than enough. You know, I I say this all the time. You know, I, I love to ride motorcycles. I don't need a motorcycle. It's not like I, you know, I have to have a motorcycle to survive. See, I was raised in the ghetto. I was raised in the slums uh, in the inner city of South St. Louis. And, I mean, it was when we came home, you know, we said, Mom, we're hungry. You know, my dad would say, you already ate. You already ate today. So I, I understand poverty. I understand, I understand being able to get by. But he's not Jehovah get by. He's El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. And so if you, if you, if I want a motorcycle, I want to ride a motorcycle, it's not a matter of life and death, but it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If we don't have that in our mind, and I'm closing with this. If we don't have that in our mind, the Father will come. And he'll begin to bring you a blessing. And he'll begin to bring you an opportunity. This year, he'll begin to bring you a business deal. He'll begin to bring you a, 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 a job proposal. But we'll begin to think, you know what? Oh, that's, you know, I don't know if God really wants me to have that. And when we're like that, we're insulting the Father. See, you got to decide, are you the, which son are you in the story of the prodigal son? Here's the one son that blew it. This son said, I want my inheritance and went out and blew it all. Blew it. And we're going to talk about this in the last week. It's gone. But then he came to his senses and he said, even the, even the unsaved have it better than me. And I'm a child of God. He came to his senses. And so he came back. And the father, and this is what religion teaches you. The father hears that his son's coming, sees him coming and says, stop him out there. Make him, make him, make him starve for a while. Make him sleep in the bushes for a while. Make him go through this for a while. He's got to pay the price. Listen to me, folks. The price has already been paid. This is not what the father did. The father saw him coming and he ran down to him and he put the ring on his finger. He put the robe on his shoulders. He didn't say, go get some, go get some, uh, 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 some cat and skin it and feed him. At least he'll survive. He said, go kill the fatted calf. Go kill the fatted calf. The good stuff. The ring of authority. The robe of royalty. Go kill the fatted calf. But watch this. But here's, here's the church. They're out there praying, being holy winning souls and all that good stuff and they come by and if it's a tremendous teaching and they hear the rejoicing in the father's house he asks the servant what's that noise 
he wasn't used to it. He couldn't relate to the father's house being full of joy. And he wouldn't go in. I know there's people listening to me here or watching my television or watching my stream. Say, I don't believe in that prosperity stuff. Then stay out. (laughs) But, But our dad's inviting you in. And he comes in and he says, what is this? Your son doesn't deserve it. Your son did this. Your son did that. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want God to give me what I deserve. I want God to give us what's been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what did the father say? He said, son, all that I've ever had has been yours. Think about that. All that I've ever had has been yours. See, that's why on the 27th, we're going to talk about everything you've lost. Everything that has you haven't received. But this has been our mentality. Listen to me. God wants you rich. He wants you rich. Everybody say rich. And I don't have a problem saying that. God wants you rich for, if for no other reason. He loves you. He wants to spoil you. Now, you've got to keep serving God. You've got to call to change the world. You're to pay your tithes and give your offerings. And if you can do that, God wants... This year, 2011, somebody somebody in this building will become rich. I mean, somebody besides me, because I'm getting it too. If for no other reason, he loves you. This is probably a bad illustration, but... You know, we, 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 we wanted Anna and, Bran, Anna and Brannon to have babies for so long. And, and when, when they finally had Asher and Judah, the twins, they couldn't even roll over yet. We're buying them trucks and, and baseball things. And, uh, you know, Anna said, Dad, don't buy it. Mom, Dad, don't buy it. They can't, they can't even find their toys. Do you know why we do that? Because it makes, they don't even know what it, how many have ever given your kids something? It costs 50 bucks, they put it over there and sit in the box. Put the paper on their head. You know why you do that? You know why you and I do that? Makes us feel good. What does God say? It's the Father's. Say it again, it's the Father's. What makes your Father happy is he brings us if we refuse it it's an insult can i tell you something it took me years and years to learn this i can remember when when i first started hearing prosperity maybe you've heard me tell this story i first started hearing prosperity i was very uncomfortable with it i oh no you gotta suffer you gotta you gotta you gotta pay the price you gotta do all these things and then i started hearing and i started seeing it was in the word of god and i started realizing man all these years god's been trying to bless us but it took a shift this is what god's going to do for you today it took a it took a major shift in my spirit here's how it happened i was sitting in my i was just finished preaching going back to sit in my office and this businessman came up to this is up in Portland, came up to me. And he said, uh, Pastor Larry, can my wife and I see you? And I said, well, sure. 
And we went in the back there and he said, you know, we came in the church a couple months ago and God changed our lives, saved our marriage, saved our business. And we just wanted to show, you know, our appreciation to you. You know, in ministry, we call it a holy handshake. You know, somebody shakes your hand, you know, they got a buck in there or something. Which, by the way, I'll stay here and shake hands. Uh, love, to, love to meet you. And he said, we'd like to show our appreciation. And I said, well, you know, praise God. And he reached in pocket and grabs a set of keys and tossed me these car keys. And I, I looked at them, and they weren't only car keys, but they had a Mercedes-Benz emblem on them. And I said, uh, brother, what's this? He said, well, God told me to give you that black Mercedes, that new black Mercedes Benz out there. The uh, big one. What's the big one? The 500 thing. And uh, I'd love to tell you that I went, oh, brother, I receive it. God bless you. You know, but I didn't take it. I didn't take it because I said, no, you know, I'm thinking, what, what, what will the people think? And so I said, no, brother, I can't take it. He said, no, brother, this is yours. We want to give it to you. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> but by, there's no Hebrew word for. The next day I was down in Atlanta doing a conference with Cruffle Dollar and John Evanzini and, and Kenneth Copeland and and, uh, you know, Tiz and I were the new guys on the block, but we got to go out to lunch and we're all sitting around about 10, 12 couples and, and they start talking about different things. And I said, and it came up, I said, you know, I said, Sunday, um, uh, I had the strangest thing happen to me. And they said, well, what's that? And I said, well, uh, I said, this guy, uh, uh, said he wanted to show his appreciation and tossed me the keys to a brand new S 500 Mercedes Benz. And he's got, oh man, those, those great cars. Didn't it drive? Doesn't it drive wonderful? Doesn't it do, you know, oh man, you, you feel so safe in there. I mean, it's everything. And I said, well, I, I didn't take it. And then I went, what? What? And I said, well, what would people think? He said, if they're the right people, they think, praise God, I'm next. Yeah. And isn't that the way it is in Hebrew? If you get to see a blessing in someone else's life, it's not to make you jealous, but to motivate you because that means you're next. So I was sitting there and I said, you mean it's okay for me to, to have something like that? They said, brother, all the world wants to call you blessed. They said, God, is, don't you turn that down. Next Sunday morning, I got in church. I said, I want to open up the Bible. The book of Matthew. Seven verse eight. Brother, you still got those car keys? He goes, I said, hook a brother up. And God changed my life. Listen to me. This year, God's ready to hook you up. If you're ready, I know I've gone over about five minutes. If you're ready for God to hook you up, I want you to come down and stand with me right here. I want you to come and stand right now. Come on. Say, I'm going to break that curse of poverty off my life. I'm going to break that religious curse right now. It is time for God to hook me up. What are you singing? Lift up your hand. Let's sing it. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
way down. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. Now listen to me. Listen to me. We're going to pray and we're going to break that religious spirit. We know God can, but if we're double-minded that he wants to, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And let not that man think when he prays he'll receive anything. Now look at me. Look at me. I didn't get to get into half of the teaching today. God wants you rich. He wants you rich. If nothing else, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But I'm going to show you this week. I'm going to show you next Sunday. One of the reasons why God wants you rich is because he's chosen to use you. To establish his kingdom on the earth. Amen. Lift up your hands. Those that are watching by television. Those that are watching by stream. Now say this. Say this with me. Say this with me. Father. In the name. And the blood of Jesus. I break. The spirit. The religious curse. Of poverty. That's been on my mind. I remove the spirit of witchcraft and I send it away and I claim a renewing of the spirit of my mind. Right now, I am convinced that my heavenly father wants to give to me good measure, pressed down, shaken together overflowing more than I've ever dreamed and I rebuke the devil in every area that's blocking my blessing in my finances my job my business in every area I claim abundance and debt cancellation it's done It's mine, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Now give the Lord a clap offering and seal it with praise.